Hello, this is Mark Richter with another episode of Linux for the Layman. Want to feel safe, secure, and capable when using your computer? This is for you if you want to succeed and know you can handle your computer tasks with ease. Greetings and welcome to episode 28 of Linux for the Layman. We're going to cover a few different topics today because I like to be responsive to my listeners and I've had some requests. The first of these was in regard to what I was talking about backups last week or last episode and the episode before that in terms of frequency and where backups can take place. This person asked if I could go over raids. You're probably wondering, what does a RAID have to do with Linux or backups or anything like that? RAID is an acronym for Rapid Array of Independent Devices. What it consists of, in general, is more than one hard disk that is configured and formatted to be redundant, either by being a complete duplicate mirror image, one of the other, or by extending the data space across the two disks, but not as all of one disk and then all of another disk. They're spliced intermittently and across. And there's also a format that does a combination of those that requires more disks, and there's more to it. The best way to learn about RAIDs, I would recommend, is look it up on the web. I looked up RAID disk array and the first hit was a Western Digital page that describes them fairly well including all the different varieties of RAID formatted drives. If you're into some hard technical stuff this is a good place to start. You can dip your toes in here and get more than a layman's share of detailed technical information. That, by the way, is one of the reasons I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on RAIDs and how to use them, because that really is beyond layman territory. That's more into techie territory or developer territory. And if you're one or the other of those, you probably already know how to find this information. And what I can tell you is not going to help that much. I'm not a RAID expert, and I don't really care to be. I will say that if you have a business that depends on your computer and you cannot afford downtime because of disk errors, RAIDs is something you might want to look into. Backups are not the same thing. RAIDs are instant automatic backup features such that if something goes wrong you can recover without any trouble and it will notify you that something went wrong. It depends on the way you set up and again. Do more research on your own if this is something you really want to get into. Now I'd like to go back to the command line. Remember we were talking about Linux administration and last time I was talking about the GUI for administration that comes with most modern Linux distributions. I would like to do a little bit of exploration in that for Xubuntu because it is fairly typical of the way these GUIs are laid out. What you can do in the Ubuntu GUI for 
managing the settings on your machine. There are some esoteric things like appearance, which controls the general look of your desktop, desktop being one screenful. One of the things you can do in Linux is you can have multiple desktops. You can look at one at a time, but you can switch between them. I think I've mentioned before I have eight desktop settings on my desktop computer. The first one has two terminal windows on it. The second one is where I do my web browsing. The third one is for certain special functions, like when I want to scan something or when I want to use a different browser for a different reason. I have three. My prime browser is Chrome, and my secondary is Firefox. And yes, I know all about all the controversies surrounding Chrome and how it gives away your information, which it does not and how it always seems to know what it thinks you want, even though that might not be what you really want. That is because Chrome does keep track of what you do. It does it internally. So it can try and provide you what the masters at Google have decided is the best way to do that, not the best places to do that. What Chrome saves is your behaviors, and it doesn't give them out to anyone else. It's for Chrome's internal use. If you have concerns about that, I suggest you look up a website called Vortex.com. It's run by a brilliant engineer who's been in computers for longer than I have. And in fact, Vortex.com is one of the first 35 domains ever registered on the internet. He's been around for a long time. He has worked with Google a lot. He does not work for them. And he's very sharp to criticize them when they do things he doesn't like. He can tell you just about anything you might want to know about Google and how they handle privacy in terms of your browsing. And yes, they do make their money from advertising. It's not because they sell your information, unlike certain other mega corporations that operate all over the web that I won't name. I don't like them, and I won't name them. Google does not sell your information. It uses it internally to provide you with what it thinks are the best things you should get. It might be wrong. It might be ads. But the information is strictly within your browser, and it doesn't leave your computer for the most part. That was a nice little side trip. So let's go back to the settings administrator. There is a Bluetooth manager. Yes, you can use Bluetooth on your computer through Linux. There's a desktop, which actually I'm not entirely sure what it does. It's set desktop background and menu and icon behavior. One of the nice things about the GUI is that when you hover your mouse over something, it'll tell you what it is. Display configures the screen settings and layout. This partly depends on your video driver, what's telling your machine how to talk to the video, and sometimes it can get confused. The display settings can help, and if they don't, first I go to my web search, my browser, to look it up. And if I can't find anything intelligent there, then I go to the Ubuntu users group because there are super experts there who can answer almost any question I've ever seen. Next one is the keyboard, keyboard settings and application shortcuts. I have a number of key switch combinations that I use to start up various applications because 
To me, maneuvering the mouse to the menu button, pushing it, clicking on, say, Office, and then going to LibreOffice Writer is more work than Control-Alt-W. It just is. There are some places where the mouse is more useful. I've talked about that. I can talk about it again. In most cases, I find the keyboard to be more useful because it's just less movement, less work. I don't have to move the mouse. I may want to keep it where it is. There's an entry for menu editor. From what I know, this doesn't actually work very well, and I wouldn't use it. I don't use it. And generally speaking, the menu's fine the way it is. Default applications, this associates what you want to be your default application when you double-click on a .docx file, for example. You can set this to go to LibreOffice or whatever word processor you use on your Linux machine. It's not the same. You can't run Word. There's mouse and touchpad, which configures your mouse and touchpad device behavior. My desktop doesn't have a touchpad, but my laptops do. And one of the things that I do with them is disable the touchpad because I like to type, and the touchpad almost invariably gets in the way when I want to type something. Network connections, that's how you can manage and change your network connection settings. You can do this from the command line if you are very familiar with how to. I know a little bit about this. What I do know is that using the GUI is a lot easier. And that's one place where I would highly recommend learning the GUI. It tells you what it can do and what you're going to do and how it works. Notifications, how notifications appear on your screen. I had an option to look at this earlier today, and I didn't find it to be particularly useful, but most of the notifications I get are ones I want to see. So that one's fine. There's one for onboard settings. I don't use onboard, so I don't have any expertise there. Panel settings. This is how you can customize the panel. The panel is what in Windows is called the taskbar. You can have more than one. The default panel when you install Xubuntu runs across the top of the screen. I don't like that. Since I concentrate mostly on using the keyboard when I'm using the computer, I prefer to have the panel at the bottom out of my line of sight and where it's going to be relatively close because the mouse is going to be near the bottom rather than going up. Now, I also have a caveat here. I actually put my panel vertically on the left side because I do two things largely with my computer more than anything else. One is use the terminal and two is edit files, a word processor. If the panel's across the bottom, it steals one or two lines from my vertical resolution. If I put it up on the left side, it doesn't do that. So I can have one or two more lines in every terminal window, and I can have closer to a full page in a word processing document when I'm editing those. There's the power manager, which I don't use because the screensaver I use contains a power manager and they don't agree with each other. There is an entity for printers, which is how you configure printers. If you know how to do something like that from the command line, go right ahead. I find it much simpler to do it in the GUI, and typically I only have to do that when I have to change a printer, which is rare. The two printers I have right now have been with me for quite a while. There's management of removable drives and media. One of the things that this lets you do is if you go into this setting area, 
You can tell the system not to mount DVDs and CDs automatically and play them right away. This is less of a problem on Linux systems than it is on Windows, but in general that is one way that malware can get into your computer because you stick in a DVD, you trust it, or a USB drive. You trust it, you push it in, and it automatically executes something. And you might not know what that is, and it could be malware. It's just basic security precautions. There's session and startup. That's how you can determine what gets run when you log in, what gets run when the system is started up, things of that nature. There's a settings editor. That's the graphical settings editor for XFConf, which is the X Windows configuration. I almost never touch this. There's shared folders that lets you make some of your folders available on your network neighborhood. So if you have multiple machines on your in-house network, you can make some of those folders available for other machines to access directly from their machine without having to log into yours and do different things. You can make them usable for backups to another machine in your house, etc. There's the software and updates. This is for finding the source and looking at your available software. There's the software updater. That has to do with updating your system when an update comes out, like one recently did for Xubuntu 2204.1, which is a long-term service release. And those will not update to anything other than another long-term service release, which won't come out for two years. I have one called the Synaptic Package Manager. I recommend this if you're going to do a lot of package management and you want to use a GUI. Synaptic is incredibly powerful and it works very nicely. Time and date. There's a lot of things in here. Window Manager. That's how you can set up how the windows function, what certain key combinations will do. Like if you want to resize a window without clicking on that narrow strip at the edge, and then moving your mouse to do it, you can arrange to do it with a keyboard setting. Workspaces, that's your what I call desktop. Each complete screenful of a desktop is a workspace. And as I said before, I have eight of them. They're also referred to as desktops. They're essentially the same thing, except that in the settings, the desktop is the one you're looking at. The workspace manager lets you tell the computer how many workspaces you want, whether you want to be able to rotate them or slide your mouse to the right edge of the screen to move to the next workspace or not. I don't do that. I don't like that. That's goofed me up enough times. And so on. There's one for color profiles that adjusts what colors your screen appears on. There's one for the screensaver. There's one for panel profiles, startup disk creator. Startup disk creator is how you can make a USB flash drive that will reboot a system on the flash drive through which you can recover from errors that prevented you from booting into your regular machine. It's a good idea to create this, but it's also a really good idea to read up on it. Don't just take my word for it. That's pretty much it for the settings GUI. I did want to go into a couple of things about the command line. I've talked about these before. One of the things to understand about learning the command line, and in particular shell scripts, 
is that when you get to that point, you are edging up to the boundary between layman and developer. Shell scripting is a form of programming. It's generally fairly simple, and what the average layman would do is just put together in a shell script a collection of commands that are always executed in the same order for the same parameters, the same options. And that's something I also wanted to cover. When you use the command line, there are three pieces to every command line you type in. The command, options to it, and parameters for it, or arguments for it. Technically, arguments includes options and parameters, so we'll use parameters for what I'm talking about. Options are switches that you invoke that alter the way the command works. By default, most commands do something intelligent. For example, cp, which is the copy command. The intelligent thing cp does when you don't type in any arguments is it says missing file operand. Type cp dash dash help for more information. Dash dash help is an option that tells the cp command, tell the user how I work. In fact, let's do that. Let's see, cp dash dash help. Oh my, I have more than a page full of comment. But it does say there's three different ways to use it. What it does is copy a source to a destination or multiple sources to a directory destination. And then there are all the options. There are two different types of options. Short, which is one letter options, those can be specified with one dash. So dash F to force a copy is the same thing as dash dash force. The dash dash options, you have to type in enough to separate the one you want from any other that might start with the same few letters. So if there's a dash dash format option and a dash dash force option, if you type in dash dash for, it doesn't know which one you want. You have to include the next letter, a C or an M, so that it can figure it out. For the single letter options, it's just the single letter. And parameters are the parameters that you want passed into the command that tell it what to operate on. And with that, I'm going to bring this to a close. I hope you found this interesting. I hope I wasn't too monotonous. Maybe you got a laugh out of something. I certainly hope so. I like to laugh when I do these, and I like people to laugh when they hear it because they enjoy it. And if you must, because you're laughing at me, that's okay, too. I can take it. I won't know. If you enjoy this, please pass it around to your friends. If you found it useful, pass it around to your friends. And please consider contributing. Like I said, this is free. Your contributions are all gratefully accepted. And if you don't make them, that's fine, too. I will keep this up for as long as I can, and I plan to do it for a long time to come. With that, I bid you farewell for now. Thank you for coming. See you on the next round. Bye for now.